The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or Internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. Who rules over you? Simply find out who you are not allowed to criticise. You are listening to ACH. I'm Andy, your host. And today, I'm delighted to welcome back my good friend, the excellent researcher and missionary, Dr. Peter Hammond. I'm going to bring him up right now. Peter, are you with me? Yes, I am. Thank you, Andrew. Well, thank you so much for coming back on. I know how much the audience looks forward to your presentations, as do I. And we've got a great one for you today, folks. It's called The Real Story of Why You Cannot Trust Your Government. I repeat, The Real Story of Why You Cannot Trust Your Government. So where would you like to start us off today, Peter? Well, you know, on my very first visit to the United States, January 1988, uh, President Ronald Reagan was head of the U.S., and uh, I managed to hear him personally. I was in uh, the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in uh, Washington, D.C., and in came President Reagan, walked right past me. I could have reached out virtually and touched him. He was that close. I was in the fourth row. And his first words of his excellent speech, what a great communicator. He said, the most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. And everyone just packed out laughing. Now, why is that such a joke? Well, in the 1980s, people understood, generally speaking, that government was the problem. It wasn't the solution. And that was the time when we had people like P.W. Boerter in South Africa and Margaret Thatcher in England and Ronald Reagan in America. I sort of miss having grown-ups running things, you know. But they understood that we need to restrict government because government is easily out of control. And uh, in the light of the Soviet Union, the Iron Curtain, the whole Berlin Wall, shooting people in the back for trying to escape uh, from socialist utopias. Most people understood that government was a necessary evil that you need to restrict. But today, we have so many who insist you must trust the government. You need to trust the government with your tax money. We expect to trust politicians to control the economy. We're told to trust the government with the currency. Of course, we meant to trust the government for our physical safety and security. You don't need weapons. The government's going to look after you. Well, unless, of course, it's BLM, burn, loot, murder, mobs, and Antifa rioting, then you're on your own. Tough. Sorry about that, but the police are just standing back from this one. Uh, we're told to trust the government with our children's education. We expected to trust our government with the training of the teachers who will mold the minds of the future voters. And we meant to trust the government with the selection and production of textbooks 
that'll guide a children's education for over 12 years. Now, I was privileged to be brought up in Rhodesia, and my first history teacher in high school, Mr. Reese Davies, was a member of parliament, and I was quite surprised that there we've got a member of parliament who is a history teacher. He said, oh, we don't get paid being members of parliament. It's a, it's a sacrifice. We contribute our time to the good of the community. Uh, we need a real job. But he said to us, beware the victor's version. Governments lie. Wartime propaganda morphs into peacetime's textbooks. Never regurgitate the textbook. Never regurgitate what's in the textbook. He said, if you understood the process behind how school textbooks are produced, you don't quote to me the textbook. Do extra reading. Go to the library. Pull out the books out of the library shelves. Find out from on independent eyewitness and back it up with others. Try and get things back as far back as you can. Don't trust government textbooks. Don't trust school textbooks. And, and what good advice from a school teacher. But now, increasingly, we're expected to trust the government when it comes to matters of our health and on matters of science. I didn't know that government was expert in science and medicine, but billions of people were forced into unprecedented lockdown in 2020 by governments who warned that if they did not stop all travel, all social interaction, all business, all cultural and religious activities, including church services, hundreds of millions of people would die of the COVID-19 virus. Remember that? Millions are going to die in your country and hundreds of millions are going to die worldwide. That's what they were telling us back in March when they locked down effectively 3 billion people worldwide. And although the doomsday predictions were wildly exaggerated, and we now are meant to trust them to enforce mandatory vaccinations, where we are warned that they have the ability not only to put in a highly suspect vaccination, which might make you sicker, because why should I trust people who want to vaccinate me when they're the very same people, think of Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, who want to depopulate the world and bring the world's population from 7 billion down to under 1 billion and preferably under 100 million. Uh, and they want to give me this vaccine to extend my life expectancy when they also have patents on a whole bunch of vaccines and pharmaceutical products uh, that live on people being unhealthy. So I just assume that the people who make their billions out of lack of life and who have a long-term agenda of depopulating the planet, that I'm going to trust them with my health and my life and my longevity. But now they've even invested so much in nanotechnology that not only are they planning to vaccinate, but at the same time harvest our DNA and plant a nanochip which will enable us to be tracked and identified all over wherever we are. And this technology exists. And of course, the Bible did warn about this possibility of you can't be able to travel or buy or sell without the mark of the beast. And here we have very disturbing situation where they'll say, well, you know, this uh, chip that you might have implanted in your uh, wrist or forehead or whatever, we scan it. And they're getting you used to stand in line. We point a laser gun at your forehead to uh, record your temperature. Well, what is this necessary for? I insist that nobody points a gun-like instrument at my forehead, certainly not a laser one, um, but they can take temperature from, from my wrist if they need to. They don't need to do the forehead, but it makes you wonder what that's preparing people for. But Dr. Ben Carson in the United States observed, we have been conditioned to think that only politicians can solve our problems. 
But at some point, maybe we will wake up and recognize that it was politicians who created our problems in the first place. Politicians are not the solution. Politicians are the problem, as Ben Carson pointed out. And I can only think of what 2 Peter 2 verse 19 says in the Bible. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. Now you could write that over a whole lot of governments around the world today. They promise liberty and freedom and all that. But they themselves are slaves of corruption. And we can see it. And you don't just need the Harvey Weinstein and uh, the uh, pedo island of uh, Jeffrey Epstein corruptions with no about the hundreds of congressmen and high high placed politicians around the world who used as Lolita Express's uh, pedo one as they used to call it flying into his island uh, in in the so-called Virgin Islands where he had his uh, sex orgies with his slaves there uh, to realize that we have got some pretty sick corrupt people out there in high political office around the world John Emmerich Acton observed power tends to corrupt absolute power corrupts absolutely and governments are meant to be there to protect their citizens in fact, that's about the only biblical role of government is protecting citizens, according to Romans 13, 1 Peter 2. Governments are there to be a minister of justice. They have the sword of justice to protect the law abiding from the law breaking. They basically meant to be protecting us from external invaders and from internal criminals. That's, social, that's secular government's entire role. Defense, justice, law and order. That's it. They can leave everything else in, in the hands of free enterprise, but According to Professor R.J. Rummel of the University of Hawaii, a political science professor, he published the staggering book, a real landmark book, Death by Government. And I've waded through this 500-page book, studied it, and produced lectures on it. Because as he points out, that most political science today is in the realm of fantasy, not reality. Because they talk about political science being... Uh, government's functions are law and order and safety and security and cultural maintenance and social welfare. But he said, but the fact is that government has been the biggest threat to life and freedom in history, and especially in the 20th century. He, in, in his book, Death by Government Documents, from over 8,000 sources, that socialist states, secular socialist states in the 20th century, murdered more than 169 million of their own citizens. This is not counting people killed in war by foreign governments. This is talking about citizens killed by their own governments in peacetime, effectively. 169 million people killed. He calls it democide, death by government. And this astonishing statistic is a result of decades of research by Professor Rummel. And he has, in his book, noticed and uh, documented that governments of the 20th century, especially the secular, humanist, centralized governments like the Soviet Union, Red China, actually are the most murderous in history. That the greatest threats to life historically have not been disease, pandemics, crime, or even war. Far more than the bubonic plague and the Spanish flu, secular, socialist, communist governments have been the biggest killers in history, not merely killing foreigners by invasion, but killing their own people in peacetime within their own borders by the most colossal concentration camp gulags and state security apparatus such as the KGB in the Soviet Union. And he, I'm just quoting from his book, he says, we have numerous examples of governments that killed hundreds of thousands 
and even millions, even tens of millions of their own citizens, enslaved the rest, abolished traditional culture. Power kills, absolute power kills absolutely. The more power government has, the more it acts arbitrarily, according to whims and desires of the elite, and the more it makes war on others and murders its foreign and domestic subject. The more constrained and restricted the powers of government, the more the power is diffused, checked and balanced, the less it will regress in others. Totalitarian communist governments have slaughtered their people by the tens of millions. Now, all that's a quote from Professor R.J. Rummel in Death by Government. And Rummel's exhaustive documentation exhibits the lethality of power. Power is lethal. Power kills. Governments kill. The Black Book of Communism backs up what he has said. The Black Book of Communism conclusively proves from the communist own archives written by six ex-communists, including uh, Stefan Cortez, who is the editor of the Communisme magazine, the Communist Party of France. These are ex-communists from the communist own archives, documents that at least 100 million people were killed in the Soviet Union and its satellites in the 20th century, just between 1917 and 1991, from the Bolshevik Revolution to the fall of the Soviet Union. And that's not counting, because you cannot count what the Red Chinese have done, because we haven't got access to their files yet. But speaking about the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, he talks about 100 million people being killed, brutally killed, in some of the most torturous ways. Uh, by governments. So far from being the solution, governments are more often than not the prime culprits for crime and violence. And most government policies to deal with crime and poverty are counterproductive and create far more crime and poverty. You can just see, just take from the United States. When they declared war on poverty, they got more poverty so that after billions and billions of dollars in the war of poverty, they've got far worse poverty today in America than they had when they started the war. When they start the war on drugs, the situation is infinitely better than it is now. You've got far more drugs now than you had when they started the war on drugs. When the U.S. government started the war on terrorism, you had far less terrorism than you have now. In fact, I think you just go to the Religion of Peace uh, website, and they are clicking it over. The last time I looked was a few years ago, but they'd gone past the 18,000 terrorist attacks that had occurred since the 9-11 uh, 2001 event, so that the war on terror has actually spawned even more terror. And this is what governments do. If you put governments in charge of the Sahara, there'd probably be a shortage of sand. It seems governments are inherently inefficient when it comes to economies, health, and a whole lot of other things. And uh, we certainly see that all over Africa and where I live in South Africa very clearly. And there's, this is nowhere more clear than when the state attempts to disarm citizens. Every genocide of the 20th century, starting with the Turkish genocide of the Armenian Christians in 1915, all the way through to the Rwandan genocide. Every genocide is preceded by gun control and disarmament of citizens. Whether you're talking about the Soviet Union, talking about Red China, Cambodia, Laos, Ethiopia, Cuba, governments that do not trust their citizens with weapons cannot be trusted with power. Freedom is when the government fears the people. Tyranny is when the people fear the government. And no government that does not trust their own citizens, can be trusted with a monopoly of force. Decentralization of power and the rule of law and armed citizens are absolutely essential foundations for freedom, as seen in, for example, Switzerland. The freest country in the world has not an army. In fact, Switzerland is an army. Uh, the citizens of Switzerland are the best armed people in the world, and uh, you don't know anything about 
home invasions uh, and the kind of violent riots that are taking place in America or in some parts of Britain these days and the, the crime rates. Uh, interesting how the most armed people are the most polite and peaceful. So decentralization is the answer. And the reason for this is the depravity of man. The Bible teaches it, Romans 3. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they've practiced deceit. The poison of snakes is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And the Bible makes clear that man is innately sinful, selfish, wicked. And uh, the depravity of man is reality. The goodness of man is a delusion. And the founding father of the United States of America, George Washington, put it well. He said, government is not reason. Government is not eloquence. Government is force. And force, like fire, is a dangerous servant and it's a fearful master. And that inspired the title of a book by G. Edward Griffin, The Fearful Master, A Second Look at the United Nations. And uh, in, in this book, and I actually could add a chapter to uh, Edward Griffith's excellent book on a fearful master, because he looks particularly at the atrocities committed by United Nations forces in the Congo and in the invasion of the pro-Western Christian state of Katanga, who seceded from the chaos of the communist Congo and the UN invaded and bombed their hospitals, bombed their schools, bombed their churches, bombed and looted the homes, the working places, the businesses. Uh, and in fact, in my school in Rhodesia, I was brought up in Bulawayo, there were some children who'd come from the Belgian Congo, who'd fled into northern Rhodesia from the Congo. And at that time, back in the 1970s, one of the most popular films that we liked was uh, The Man from Uncle. And The Man from Uncle had this lovely pre-Glasnost, Glasnost scenario where these uh, secret agents, an American secret agent and a Russian secret agent, working together under Uncle, the United Nations, what a nice name, uh, for the United Nations, the man from uncle. And so these these uh, spies working for the UN were trying to keep the world safe for democracy, apparently. But the children in the uh, benches next to me were saying the UN are the ones who, who bombed and strafed and machine gunned and looted uh, our home and, and town in, uh, in Elizabethville, uh, the, in, in uh, Katanga, uh, all the hideous atrocities committed. And, you know, many of them had uh, stories that were just hard to believe in the ferocity. And until I read G. Edward Griffith's book, uh, The Fearful Master, I, uh, I had no independent source of, of confirmation aside from firsthand from people who were at school with me. Uh, but uh, yes, the United Nations uh, is an example of a fearful master. If you've got a home with a, with a fireplace, the fireplace has to be very well built and it's got to be of not combustible material. If you want to find a home, you need to have a very limited, secured place and not only uh, have the, the bricks uh, for the fireplace, but you need to have normally a metal guard to prevent any of the fire spitting out uh, coal or burning um, part of wood onto the carpet. Carpets are flammable. Your wooden floors are potentially flammable. Curtains are extremely flammable. Um, as somebody who was a fireman, I can tell you that if fire gets out of the fireplace and into the house, um, the house has got about 20 minutes. In 20 minutes, if all the doors are open, 
any building of any size is irredeemably lost, which is why hospitals and hotels specifically need fire doors that must always be shut. And the amount of people who prop up these fire doors that are meant to be there to to limit the spread of fires are actually really endangering uh, everyone concerned. But this is so, whether you're talking about submarines or ships like the Titanic needing watertight compartments uh, that go all the way up, not just part of the way up like the Titanic, uh, you need watertight compartments also when it comes to society and government. And you need fire breaks and forests. And you need... Uh, checks and balances and restrictions on government. You need uh, upper and lower house and judiciary separate from the executive branch and the legislative branch and upper and lower house of the uh, legislature. Uh, you need all of these principles. Why? Because of the depravity of man. Man is not the solution. Government is not the solution. It is a necessary evil. And it's a dangerous servant. It's a fearful master, as is shown when governments have all the power, like in the Soviet Union, the people are disarmed, uh, or in Red China today. Uh, and it is a dangerous servant. Even in the freest, uh, nicest country imaginable, like let's take Switzerland, the people there don't trust the government. So uh, one of my favorite um, uh, anecdotes about Switzerland is a few years ago, they had a referendum, and Switzerland's the father of referendums. They're the ones who introduced this direct democracy. They have referendums on almost anything. One referendum Switzerland had some years ago was on the Homing Pigeon Regiment. Homing Pigeon Regiment. And, uh, of course, the military thought that this was now redundant and uh, antiquated and no longer relevant in modern warfare. And so they were going to disband the Homing Pigeon Regiment. And enough citizens got together the petition to require a referendum. And the citizens won the referendum and the government lost. And the homing pigeon regiment remained. And a Swiss soldier explained it to me. Governments may interfere with most electronic uh, communications, but nobody can interfere with the homing pigeon regiment. And, well, who can argue with that? But what a wonderful example of how the people of Switzerland so distrust their central government uh, that they keep them in check and they have checks and balances and everything's very decentralized and all powers really down to the local canton and municipality and individual. And that's safer. The more a government's power is diffused and decentralized, and the more checks and balances are, the freer everyone is concerned. Uh, but the more concentrated and centralized, well, the more corruption and the more abuse you get. Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. And President Herbert Hoover conclusively documented this in his monumental book, The 900-Page Freedom Betrayed. The Secret History of World War II and its Aftermath. And I have studied this book and produced a number of lectures on it. Uh, we've dealt with this on a previous program here. Herbert Hoover documents the deceit, the disinformation, the treason, which were the central focus of Franklin Delano Roosevelt's policies during the Second World War. FDR uh, and his government, what they were involved in, the treachery, is well documented by U.S. President Herbert Hoover in, in this book, Freedom Betrayed. Freedom Betrayed is a shocking, searing indictment of the abuse of government and the catastrophic consequences of unbridled power in the hands of secular, humanist, socialist, people without a conscience. And as the Bible says, all these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Now, all these things happened to him as examples and are written for our admonition. The Bible encourages us to know our history. 
And I uh, last year went through a staggeringly important book, Max Hastings' book, The Secret War, Spies, Ciphers, and Guerrillas, 1939 to 1945, and utilizing the most secret ultrafiles, which were sealed for over 60 years after the conclusion of World War II. This book, The Secret War, is the most thorough, detailed chronicle yet produced on code-breaking, spying, and sabotage activities in all the theaters of the Second World War. And as one general uh, in a write-up at the beginning of the book writes, the revelations from this book, The Secret War, require almost every book, film, and documentary about the Second World War to be rewritten. And the realities revealed by, this, by these previously sealed documents ruin many, if not all, of the Hollywood nar narratives of that tragic conflict. And so... The secret war is just one example of something that it really, the facts really ruin a good story and a good narrative. And it just shows how much we've been deceived. And the book of Revelation tells us that Satan is deceiving the nations. And a day will come when an angel will bind Satan so that you might deceive the nations no more. And you can be sure that if we are in agreement with Hollywood or the Bolshevik Broadcasting Corporation or the Clinton News Network or Sly Magazine or Useless News and World Report or the Sunday Crimes or the United Nations or World Health Organization, if we find ourselves in agreement with the world, including the World Council of Churches and so on today, then we must know we've been deceived because the Bible makes it clear. This whole world is being deceived by Satan. And uh, my uh, uh, second opening uh, of my mind to the fact that governments uh, are inherently untrustworthy uh, after the experience of speaking to students at school who had come from the Congo and told me what was going on with the UN, very discouraging to hear that your Hollywood screen heroes, uh, the man from uncle, turns out to be working for uh, people who are not actually having your best interests at heart. But I was only 14 years old when I read Colin Simpson's book, The Lusitania, finally the startling truth about one of the most faithful of all disasters of the sea. So that's the book um, title. This book was published in 1973. And when I checked it out of the Bulaway Library, I was horrified to find the startling evidence about the disgraceful role of British and American officials in this disaster. Because officially we'd all known, I mean, the story was, evil Germans sunk this um, peaceful cruise liner that was just carrying civilians in it. Um, uh, in an act of terrorism in the sea, piracy, so to speak. And, uh, and this um, was a major pivotal event that led to America uh, actually entering the First World War uh, as a belligerent on the side of, of the Allies, the French and British and Russians. And so the entire sink of the Lusitania became pivotal because before that time, the vast majority of Americans, over 85%, opposed intervention in Europe's wars, opposed uh, the war, uh, and uh, wanted to strictly maintain United States neutrality, which is exactly what George Washington strongly advised, that uh, avoid entangling alliances, stay out of Europe's wars, uh, maintain neutrality. And so that was America's policy for many years. And that's what the Lindberghs, including Charles Lindbergh Sr., uh, the famous uh, air hero who first flew across the Atlantic uh, solo, uh, Charles Lindbergh's father, uh, opposed uh, the involvement of the First World War, just as Charles Lindbergh himself opposed involvement of the Second with the title America First. Well, 
in the sinking of the Lusitania, Colin Simpson's book, uh, it was shocking to discover that this was a false flag operation cooked up by uh, both the first Lord of the Admiralty, first Sea Lord, uh, Winston Churchill, and uh, by Woodrow Wilson's government in America. And it actually led to the Secretary of State of the United States resigning in disgust uh, over over this disgraceful behavior because they knew that this was designed both between the American and the British government to have an, uh, a sinking of a ship, to provoke a sinking of a ship to the extent that it would be able to be used by the CPI, the Committee for Public Information, which Edward Bernays, the nephew of the uh, famous uh, Pavlov's uh, uh, dogs and so on, uh, Sigmund Freud, Sigmund Freud psychoanalysis, um, his nephew was Edward Bernays, who became the father of propaganda and later public relations. Uh, he was Woodrow Wilson's man to put together the CPI or the Committee for Public Information, the world's most advanced propaganda agency that had ever been seen, which succeeded in turning Americans from being 85% against intervention in Europe's war uh, to being 85% for it and even lynching people who had a German sounding name and uh, uh, killing Alsatian uh, German shepherds and uh, Dachshunds uh, because of their German origin and uh, uh, burning and looting stores of bakers or um, uh, other uh, Germans uh, in America, even if they'd been there for generations and locking up Amish pacifists for refusing to be involved in the war and all sorts of hideous things uh, from the propaganda that came for it. But the facts about the sink of Lusitania are so staggering how it was transporting tons of military hardware, which it was made known to the German government that they were doing this, and uh, that the uh, German embassy in New York had actually put out warnings in the press, do not travel uh, on the Lusitania, it is carrying war munitions and it's entering into a war zone. And because of the British starvation blockade of Germany, Germany's enforcing a blockade of Britain. And this is dangerous. And, the, uh, and yet all the evidence, um, right down to having British ships in the area uh, ordered to uh, take evasive action to go away from where the uh, targeted sinking of Lusitania would take place so that more people could drown and there'd be less people saved to increase the body count, uh, ordered straight from First Lord of the Admiralty, and uh, even uh, or sending radio signal to have the Lusitania alter its, its uh, course in order to send it straight into the presence of a known wolf pack of uh, submarines, uh, the, the, uh, to the destruction of evidence to depth charging later the remains of the Lusitania when uh, sea, undersea uh, explorers were seeking to uh, explore the wreck and uh, the amount of lies, lies and more lies. You know, when a government seals their records for over 50 years, you must know they're concealing a major scandal. And later in that same year, 1974, I came across Nicholas Bethel's book, The Last Secret, the story of forced repatriation from 1944 to the present. And my confidence in the integrity of the Allies was seriously shaken by the revelations of Operation Keelhaul. What an appropriately named term, because a keelhaul is a naval term when they take some sailor who'd breached the rules in a terrible way, uh, they'd take him over the front of the ship. Uh, he would literally be forced uh, by rope 
over over the um, bow of the ship all the way through to the stern, uh, and you can imagine his back would be ripped open, uh, being pulled along the the keel of the ship, uh, which would be having barnacles and all sorts of sharp things on the back, and and uh, the man would be uh, stripped uh, of his shirt so that his back would be bare. And uh, to kill all a person is, is brutal, and many actually drowned before they reached the, the stern and were pulled up again, and uh, those who didn't were in a very bad way. So Operation Keelhaul was the name that the Allies gave to the forced repatriation by British, Canadian, and American forces of over 3 million Russians, Ukrainians, and other East Bloc citizens, including people from Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia, which had been independent before the Second World War, uh, people uh, into the hands of Stalin's NKVD extermination units. Now, many of these were prisoners of war. Many were refugees who had fled the communist caste Soviet Union. Many had never even lived in Russia. Many had been born in Europe because their parents had fled from the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917. All of them, though, were to be rounded up and brutally forced against their will at bayonet point and rifle butt uh, over into the Arctic hell of the Soviet Gulag death camps in Siberia. But most of those tragic people who were forced across the Iron Curtain into the hands of the Soviet secret police were murdered immediately. And uh, th this, this is what Alexander Solzhenitsyn called the war's last secret, although unfortunately we've discovered it's by no means the last secret. Uh, but the, this, the descriptions, the heart-rending descriptions of these people, how the Allies lied to them. Because these uh, Russians and Ukrainians and other East Europeans, Christians, the vast majority of them, they never dreamed that the democratic West would betray them. They never expected to be clubbed and beaten by rifle butts and prodded with bayonets and even shot many thousands of these Russians and Ukrainians were shot while trying to escape as they were herded like cattle by British, Canadian, American forces onto trucks and trains to be sent as prisoners against their will to the Soviet Union and certain death or slavery. And thousands, many thousands committed suicide rather than being subjected to the living hell in the slave gulags of Soviet com communism. The most heart-rending stories where these, these Russians or Ukrainians were having... Uh, a communion service and the Orthodox communion service are, are quite long. The, the full uh, liturgy um, prayer book um, operations, which take a few hours. And the British in Austria got impatient and just came in with their trucks and uh, tanks and uh, broke up the uh, prayer meeting communion worship service and uh, literally clubbed and beat people and forced them uh, across the river into the hands of the Russians many of the mothers throwing their babies into the icy Danube to drown rather than have them brought up as as communists on the other side, knowing what was waiting for them all. Uh, it, you just could not imagine all that was involved. And so as a 14-year-old reading this, uh, The Last Secret about Operation Keelhaul, uh, you can imagine it, it shook my confidence in the government because I'd always thought, you know, our governments were the good guys. We fought for freedom and democracy and, and all of that. But then, as a missionary to the Persky Church, I, I visited Poland and uh, on a number of occasions, and I learned of the Katan Forest Massacre. Now, I knew about the Katan Forest Massacre. The Germans murdered all these poor uh, Polish prisoners of war. Um, 
1940 and uh, next uh, 1941. And uh, when I got to Poland and I expressed my surprise that they had Katyn 1940, they said, don't tell us you believe the Russian propaganda. I said, what Russian propaganda? And uh, they said, look at the map. Where is Katyn? And I looked and looked and I said, further east. I kept looking and said, even further east, further east. Look near Smolensk. That's where Katyn is. Oh, it's almost near Moscow. Well, how could the Germans have done the Katyn Forest Massacre? Uh, the Russians were the ones who murdered the Polish prisoners. And the, the Poles, despite decades of intense terrorism and intimidation and Soviet control, they never lost sight of the facts and they never allowed themselves to believe the lies and the propaganda. And they determined to set up the monuments and memorials to these victims of the Soviet Union. Well, uh, the Katyn Forest Massacre, the killing of the entire intellectual elite and leadership of, of Poland, all the officers and NCOs, uh, over 24,000, uh, this is the top leaders of the country, brutally murdered uh, on order of Joseph Stalin. Well, what makes it worse is the story of the assassination of General Sikorsky. Now, General Wladyslaw Sikorsky was the commander-in-chief of the Polish army and the prime minister of the Polish government in exile. And he was killed on the 4th of July, 1943, while returning from inspecting Polish forces in the Middle East, where my father was serving in the 8th Army. And uh, General Sikorsky's Liberator, that's an American bomber, transport aircraft, uh, was uh, flying back through Gibraltar and crashed into the sea 16 seconds after takeoff from Gibraltar. And the only survivor of the crash was the pilot. And all 11 passengers were killed, including Zofia Sikorsky's daughter. Now, the fact that the British documents concerning this aircraft accident had been sealed as ultra top secret till 2050, we'll be lucky to be alive in 2050, um, as top secret, this has further confirmed the suspicions of the Polish Christians that their British and American allies murdered, eliminated Sikorsky, their head of the Polish government in exile and their commander of the army, because of his insistence of an independent investigation into the Katyn Forest Massacre of the Polish prisoners of war by Stalin's communists. And this was particularly uh, to avoid embarrassing the Soviet dictator. And the information that's come out from our Polish friends uh, is quite staggering. And the evidence is huge, including the fact that all the uh, official reports at that time and the logs of uh, Churchill and Franklin Delano Roosevelt's telephone calls and communications have been sealed and are still sealed to this day uh, over that particular month because uh, evidently the American president Franklin Delano Roosevelt said that this Sikorsky is an embarrassment, you need to get rid of him. And the British arranged for him to get uh, eliminated by setting up, well, you've got to go over to, all the way to uh, Egypt to inspect the Polish army over there. There wasn't much good reason for it, but still. And on the way back, had to stop at, at Gibraltar. And in Gibraltar, amazingly, this plane crashes 16 seconds after takeoff and the pilot's only survivor. Normally, the pilot being in the front of the aircraft is the first one to die. So it's extremely suspicious, the, the whole operation. Um, and if, if the pilot survives, then you'd expect everyone behind him in the aircraft to survive. So the uh, and one of the scuba divers who was involved in retrieving the bodies 
was later murdered in the most brutal way, in such a way that you couldn't even tell uh, who it was because his face was completely uh, destroyed in some underwater accident. Um, and uh, just about all evidence of everything disappeared or has been sealed uh, for the next 30 years still. So imagine something so secret that it's sealed for 107 years after the event, 1943 to 2050. Uh, and it's still sealed and unlikely to be unsealed in our lifetime. So this is the kind of um, betrayal, because bear in mind, Poland was meant to be an ally of Britain and America and Russia. And bear in mind that uh, Britain ostensibly entered the Second World War to save Poland from invasion, but ended up by betraying the whole of Poland in the hands of the Soviet Union. And uh, here's a Polish ally, uh, General Sikorsky, who's asking a most reasonable thing, independent investigation into the murder of the uh, Polish prisoners of war at Yalta, uh, at, at, at Katyn. And uh, the um, British not only opposed that, and the Americans opposed it, but then they cook up All of them, well, presumably they all knew and they all were concerned and all uh, understood the importance of this independent investigation. The entire leadership of, of the Polish government in exile was decapitated at a stroke. And uh, these are just some reasons why it's so clear you cannot trust your government. And uh, of course, you can talk about Lend-Lease and the billions, trillions of dollars of hardware from Britain, Canada, and the USA that saved the Soviet Union from collapse. It's There's so much treachery and how Woodrow Wilson betrayed a solemn pledge in the 14 points, which is meant to end the First World War without victors or vanquished, uh, with no um, parceling out of people around. All of the 14 points, which was the foundation for the armistice of the 11th of November, 1918, every one of those points was violated and betrayed. Every point in the Atlantic Charter by Franklin Delano Roosevelt and Winston Churchill was violated with the treacherous Yalta Agreement, which betrayed over 150 million Christians in Eastern Europe into the hands of Stalin's brutal Soviet Union. And these are just some of the more monumental examples in history why you cannot trust governments. And Ian Smith, the Prime Minister of Rhodesia, where I grew up, in his landmark book, The Great Betrayal, documents the treachery of the British Foreign Office in betraying Rhodesia into the hands of the Soviet and Red Chinese-backed Marxist terrorists. And remember, Ian Smith fought all six years of the Second World War for Great Britain in the Royal Rhodesian Air Force as a fighter pilot uh, in, on hurricanes and later spitfires. And he was shot down twice and was behind enemy lines in Italy for five months and crossed the Alps um, uh, barefoot uh, to join the Allies in France uh, after the uh, D-Day landings and so on. Ian Smith was bewildered at the malicious undermining of every attempt of Rhodesia to resist communist terrorism and secure our population. So Ian Smith put it so eloquently, we were never beaten by enemies. We were betrayed by our friends. And so if there's anybody out there who thinks, you know, my government wouldn't lie to me about a virus, and when they come up with these regulations, it must be for my good, because my government is, would never do anything to harm us. Well, think of all the prisoners of war betrayed. Uh, the Americans have got the MIA or missing in action um, dramas, and it's not just Vietnam, where they left 2,500 prisoners behind 
unaccounted for in the hands of the Cambodians and the Laos communist and North Vietnam. Uh, there's also uh, the Americans betrayed thousands of prisoners of war, over 4,000, in the hands of Red China at the end of the North Korean War. At the end of the Second World War, there were tens of thousands, over 20-something thousand American prisoners of war in camps in eastern Germany who were overrun by the Soviets, who had never returned to their people. And at the end of the First World War, there was something like 14,000 Americans who ended up in the hands of the Bolsheviks during the attempted intervention there after the Bolshevik Revolution, which actually only helped the Bolsheviks because all the aid that was meant to go to the White Russians was redirected to the Reds. Uh, that's another story entirely. Captain Red McDaniels, who is a U.S. naval aviator who fought in the Vietnam War. Captain Red McDaniels, I've met him. He's called Red because of his red hair. He's a tall man. And uh, Red McDaniels was tortured in Vietnam as a prisoner of war for over six years. And he wrote the book Scars and Stripes. Red McDaniels said to me directly and put in my hands the books, Kiss the Boys Goodbye and other documentation uh, about that the American government's treachery in betraying its prisoners of war did not just start with Vietnam. It goes back to Korea, Second World War, First World War, and he gave the documentation. And there's videos I've got on my shelf uh, documenting this. Uh, it's staggering. A government that will betray their own soldiers, a government that will murder their own war heroes, like General George Patton, the murder of General George Patton, the assassination by the U.S. Uh, uh, government's OSS or Office of Secret Service, Office of Secret Service, which is the forerunner of the Central Intelligence Organization. The uh, treachery of that. I mean, imagine a government will murder their own generals, murder and betray their own people, betray their own allies, organize the assassination of allies like General Sikorsky. It's just staggering to think that we've got so many people today who have not learned from history, but who still have this refrain, trust in the government, they know what's best for us. Nobody is more concerned for your children than the government. They love your children better than you do. Uh, they know better than the parents what's good for the children. Just send your children to our state indoctrination gulags. We'll be, uh, we'll ensure they learn everything they're meant to know, uh, which probably won't be to teach them to think critically, which is why I think it's so important that at school in Rhodesia, we were given 1984, George Orwell's 1984 and Animal Farm as set workbooks, because we were at least taught in Rhodesia, don't trust the government. Don't trust governments. You need to be self-sufficient. And so in Rhodesia, we were taught to be self-sufficient, meaning we had to have our own weapons. We had to now defend ourselves. We had to think for ourselves. We had to control our schools. You could not trust the government to devise textbooks. You couldn't trust the government to do decide what is good, right, and important, not on medicine, not on economics, nothing. And uh, I'm glad I was brought up under a country like that where they valued freedom and they didn't teach you to put your trust in the government. But today, I'm deeply concerned to see that so many people across Europe and the United States, and even in South Africa, where we should know better, you've got these people who have this idea that the state is the savior and the government is like our God. And to me, this is nothing uh, but Roman, uh, Revelation 13, Antichrist 666. It's uh, the mark of the beast idea when we look to the state for a savior. And you can see this also in how so many people will use 
a small G for gospel, but a large capital G for government. And I'll put a small S for scripture, but a capital S for state. And what a terrible thing to see how people have almost deified now the state and government and politicians, but they have made less and less important God. And what's happening in secular humanism is putting man on the throne instead of God, putting the state or politicians, which should only be for God. And so I'm deeply concerned that we've got many people who don't trust in God, but they trust in the government. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter. Fascinating presentation, as always, and very timely because folks, as Peter alluded to with regard to these restrictions, lockdowns, they're moving further forward, covered the um, uh, Bill Gates uh, cryptocurrency on body activity patent uh, on yesterday's show with Matt Johnson. Uh, and uh, it, it's here. This is what they're going to do. They're, they're making it more restrictive to go into restaurants. You have to download apps in some cases. You have to scan QR codes. You have to give your name, your phone number, all these different things to make it as inconvenient as possible for people because they've already got the solution. You know, problem, reaction, solution, folks, the Hegelian dialectic. Mm. And the solution is going to be this um, so-called vaccine, which will also contain a chip. And uh, the vaccine will be there to protect you from the disease. And there'll be places if you don't take it, well, you can't come in. We're not saying it's mandatory, but you can't travel on public transport because you could infect people. Well, you know, if everyone else has got the vaccine, then they wouldn't get infected, would they? But they've always got an answer, as you know. And then, of course, the chip is there. They're going to institute a... Uh, Chinese-style social credit system. So even if you've got $10 million in the bank, they'll dictate whether you can use that money or not. And so unless you get on board with what the state tells you, any dissent out there will be met with a restriction of what you can do and what you can purchase. Um, we've seen it already. I've experienced it personally, of course, with the deplatforming that I've had on uh, Amazon and on Lulu and on uh, PayPal, all these different things. Um, and I know my government doesn't help me because I know my government has agents that listen to my shows. So they know that this happened. They might have even requested it to happen. But mm. they've done nothing to help me. So why would I think that a government that can deprive me of a, of a living or at best not step in to preserve my, um, my means of making a living is actually caring about my health? Do governments care about your health when they uh, let all this GMO products out there that they know causes all these problems? Did governments look after your health when they approved the thalidomide um, so-called uh, drug to help uh, women uh, in their, going through the uh, pregnancy? I mean, there's so much you could look at, and it's never more important than today. I want to hand back to Peter for his comments. And also, Peter, can you let people know where they can find uh, your work, your website, social media, anything you would like, please? Yes, certainly. And in fact, there's so much more if you just dig. In America, early on when they were producing the atomic bombs, they had um, units go into uh, the desert where they were uh, in New Mexico, where they were setting off these atomic bomb tests, and had some just pitch their tents at a safe distance, and others uh, in trenches, uh, to without telling them what was going to happen, and uh, because they wanted to test the effects of radiation on soldiers in trenches at this distance, and soldiers in tents at that distance, and the the diseases many of these people came out with, not to mention the Agent Orange, which poisoned so much uh, of, of the environment in which the soldiers were operating, and they were drinking water that was infected by Agent Orange, which was to defoil, and it was to get rid of the vegetation uh, in 
Vietnam and Cambodia. And how many American soldiers suffered ill effects from that? And for many years, the government denied it all. So, yes, uh, there's a lot to look at. And, and we haven't even touched false flags, which is a totally different um, uh, matter. But uh, you can uh, read more about what I've written on these subjects. Go to frontlinemissionsa.org, frontlinemissionsa.org. And my email is peter at frontline.org.za. You'll find me on Facebook as well, Peter Hammond. I've got the, the line as in a uh, line with a main uh, on um, as my uh, profile pic. And um, if you are interested in uh, getting involved in any of the activities we've got fighting against Marxists in Africa, just give us a call. So it's peter at frontline.org.za. Thank you so much, Peter. Fascinating show as always. And folks, be sure to go to Peter's website and have a look at what he has to offer over there. Many books, uh, audio, all sorts of things. He has the uh, audio of all our shows together, most of them. So I want to thank Peter so much for joining me today. You have been listening to The Real Story of Why You Cannot Trust Your Government. I want to thank all of you for listening. And until then, folks, tomorrow, bye for now.